Good evening. Your grace, brother clergy, priesthood of all believers, Christ is in our midst. I want to welcome all of you to St. Peter Orthodox Church. It's a joy to have you with us this evening, and it's certainly a joy to have His grace with us today and for tomorrow morning. I can tell you that even in the few brief talks that He's given today, my heart has been enriched. It's been wonderful to hear what our Lord is doing through all the ministries there in Kenya. And I'm sure that tonight we're equally going to be enriched by what our Lord has to offer for us through His grace this evening. So without further ado, I'd like to invite Mr. Seraphim Dankert to come and make his introduction. Thank you so much, Father Mark. Christ is in our midst. He is and ever shall be. Good evening. My name is Seraphim Dankert. I'm the new headmaster of St. Peter's Classical School here on the grounds of the church. And this is our first Distinguished Speakers event. It's something which I thought we could introduce in order to enrich the campus life and also enrich the life of Fort Worth in this parish. And it just so happens providentially that His Grace went to seminary with me and I noticed on Facebook that he was going to be in Texas and I thought we should bring him to Fort Worth. So that's how this happened so quickly. I've only been in this role for a few weeks and yet God has arranged for it to happen. Um, Part of the vision for the Distinguished Speaker Series is to bring leaders, Christian leaders, Orthodox Christian leaders of a wide variety of backgrounds in the church, in technology, in business, in publishing, in academia, and to bring them here to this place to enrich our students' lives, to enrich the faculty's lives, and to extend our doors to the entire DFW region and to say, come and see that St. Peter's is a place, both church and school, for intellectual and spiritual enrichment. So this is our first opportunity to do this. Throughout the course of the year, we'll be inviting a variety of other speakers, but we're privileged and grateful to God that His grace is with us tonight. As I mentioned, he went to Holy Cross Greek Orthodox School of Theology in Boston and took two degrees there, the Masters of Divinity and the Masters of Theology, And then he was a doctoral candidate at the University of Thessaloniki in Greece in pastoral theology for a year and a half or so. But the most amazing thing about his grace is that um, in Kenya, he is one of the few native leaders of the church who have been ordained to the hierarchy. Um, You might not know this, but Kenya has one million Orthodox Christians and 300 churches And now uh, His Grace represents a new generation of leaders where the church has decided that as it grows in its witness, it's looking to ordain and be led by African clergy. And that means that it's a great opportunity for us to support God's work because, as His Grace might share, the church has grown in Africa, the Orthodox Church in particular, largely through the financial support of Greece and Cyprus. So most institutions and parishes that um, have been built and have been able to do what they've done is because individuals and the government actually funds it from Greece and Cyprus. Um, His grace leads a missionary diocese. Um, And he didn't tell me this, but my interpretation of what missionary means is that he has to find the money for it. Um, It's a mission that comes from the hearts of Orthodox Christians like us. 
Um, and, and really no funding for everything that you'll hear about comes from any other source than Orthodox Christians here in the United States. So this is a tremendous opportunity for us to learn about God's work there. And in particular, I thought it was, it was fitting that he'd come and speak to us because he has an educational mission, uh, a mission to young people. And we have actually are creating a sister school relationship with at least one, maybe two of his schools, where our students at St. Peter's Classical School will be in relationship with Orthodox students and non-Orthodox students who are in his Graces schools in Kenya. And this will be an opportunity for cultural exchange, for learning, um, and for us to serve and witness and learn from the experience of the schools in Kenya. So please... Uh, without further ado, please join me in welcoming His Grace Bishop Neophytos. Christ in our midst, He is very happy. It's good to hear that because uh, although we belong to the Greek Orthodox Patriarchate of Alexandria. While I was in, uh, in Boston at the Holy Cross School of Theology, I liked very much the uh, Antiochian and the OCA uh, brothers when they always say Christ is in our midst. So when I became bishop of my diocese, I also introduced that. And uh, it's such a great joy when you hear the response of the people you know, responding to that, that truly Christ in our midst. And uh, it is our identity, actually, uh, for us to know that uh, without Christ, uh, we are nobody. You know, Christ came for us, he died for us, so that uh, we may also uh, have uh, salvation. I want to thank Seraphim for the invitation to come and uh, share about uh, our mission work in, in, in Africa, uh, particularly in Kenya, uh, where uh, orthodoxy has been there since 1931. Although orthodoxy has been there in Kenya since 1931, it has been silent for all those years. Because uh, when few uh, Anglican uh, clergymen found the definition of what orthodoxy is, they decided to find the nearest orthodox jurisdiction so that they could be accepted to be members of that church. And these were Anglican uh, 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 priests already uh, in Uganda and in Kenya. And so finally they were directed by one uh, Greek who was in Tanzania, uh, by that time called uh, Papa Sarantopoulos in Sostopoulos, who directed them to Alexandria. That is where they went and they were accepted in Alexandria. And in 1946, that is when Alexandria, Greek Orthodox Patriarchate of Alexandria, 
decided to send their first metropolitan to East Africa, that is uh, to Uganda, to Kenya, and Tanzania. And so that was uh, Metropolitan Nicholas, who eventually uh, became the Patriarch of Alexandria. And we were accepted into the Orthodox Patriarchate of Alexandria as the first missionaries outside Egypt, outside North Africa, to become Orthodox, because Sub-Saharan Africa was completely a Protestant uh, denomination. There was no Orthodox Church. And so they were the first ones to be accepted into the Orthodox Patriarchate of Alexandria. And in 1946, that is when we were officially uh, accepted under the Homophoria of the Patriarchate of Alexandria. There was dialogue between 1931 all the way until 1946, when we officially became under the homophorion or under the authority of the Patriarchate of Alexandria. Unfortunately, in 1952, because in, in, in Kenya there was the, you know, we, we were co colonized by the British, and there was this uh, group called the Mau Mau who were fighting for freedom. And uh, orthodoxy was associated by the British colonial rule as a branch of Mau Mau. And in 1952, uh, they declared a state of emergency. And they killed the first priests, and also they destroyed all the churches and the institutions that were there. The schools were burned as well. So in 1952, everything went to flat in, in Kenya. But we thank God because during that time also, after the state of emergency, uh, Macarius III of Cyprus, who was also the president of Cyprus, was exiled in the island of Sigis with the first uh, president of Kenya, Jomo Kenyatta. And they met in that island, and they became friends. When they were released from uh, prison, Jomo Kenyatta, the first president of Kenya, invited Macarius III of uh, Cyprus to visit Kenya, and he gave him a gift, and the gift was a huge land where he told him, you can use this to establish any institution that you want. This is a gift for you for having known you and shared a lot together because we are, are you know, are, are compatriots in this uh, fight against our freedom. And so he gave him land. And I Bishop Macarius of uh, Cyprus, of blessed memory, of course, he, he died in 1978. When he took the land, when he received the land, he decided to build a seminary school and to build a polytechnic. And the purpose was that those students who will come to the seminary school will be able to study theology and also an extra profession from the polytechnic so that when they graduate and go back home, they will not only be serving as priests, but also they will have a part-time job. That was a great vision. 
And so he started building the seminary school, and in 1972 it was complete. It was opened by Archbishop Anastasios of Albania in 1982, just right after when, uh, four years later, when Archbishop Macarius III of Cyprus uh, had died. But there is something that is very interesting here about what he said during that time when he was laying the foundation stone. And when he laid the foundation stone, he said, this seminary stone, this foundation stone we laid today is for the sons of Africa to be able to study, to become priests, not only for Kenya, but for the whole of the African continent, so that Christ may be known. Those words remain up to today, and we always refer to those words. Because from that seminary school, we have had students from all over Africa, from Ghana, from Nigeria, from Cameroon, from Madagascar, from South Africa, from East Africa, coming to study at the seminary school. And they have gone back to their countries also, and be ordained as clergymen and they are serving their people. The main function also of the seminary school that is very important is that we bring students from different, Kenya has 42 tribes, so we bring students from almost every tribe and every student who comes from that tribe will have the responsibility of translating the services into their own dialect. So by the end of three years, we will be having a service book, either for liturgy or for baptism or for confession in every dialect in Kenya. And this is the reason why people have been able to understand about the services. So we have services in Swahili, which is the national language. We have services in English, which is the official language in Kenya. And also we have services in every dialect. Because we have, as I say, we have 42 uh, tribes. Now, in that respect, mission became silent all through, even if we had a seminary school. I just said about the seminary school because I don't want to forget that. But we became silent for quite some time until 1992. 1992 is when uh, Bishop Macarius, he was still a layman, he is now the Archbishop, uh, was ordained as a bishop uh, in Kenya. And, and Bishop Macarius is the uh, godson of Macarius III of Cyprus. So although Macarius III had died, Macarius now, who became bishop, was able to have a direct link with the Church of Cyprus so that funding would continue for the building of churches, for building of schools, for building of hospitals, and to support uh, the clergy. That has continued, and that actually kind of like opened uh, uh, the, 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 the doors for mission work 
to spread all over Kenya and to spread all over East Africa. And from the seminarians who came to the uh, school in Nairobi, they were able to go back and to continue the mission work. And so as we speak right now, uh, Orthodoxy is having a new face whereby it is beginning to spread again. As you heard, we are now close to a million with over 350 priests. And we look forward for doing much more missions in the future, despite of all the challenges that are there. When the financial crisis uh, hit uh, the country of, uh, of Greece, it affected us directly. So everything kind of like stopped. Like the seminary school. The seminary school in Nairobi was closed for almost two years because all the funding comes from there. But we thank God because everything now is coming back and many people are also beginning to support the seminary school and also to support our mission work. The new patriarch of Alexandria who uh, will, will be celebrating 15 years uh, as the patriarch of Alexandria, as you know, uh, in 2001, uh, Patriarch Petros uh, died in a helicopter when he was going to Mount Athos. And so, Patriarch, who is there right now, the order was the second, is approaching missions from a different perspective. He is that Patriarch who says that he wants Africa for Africans. He says that. For us, as bishops from Greece, from Cyprus, we can, we can stay in Alexandria. But Africans need Africans. And that is why he's been able, usually when, when we go to the Holy Synod, he says, Patriarch so-and-so ordained one African bishop. Then he says, for me, within the last 11 years, I have ordained five African bishops. So he's very happy about that. And there is every good reason for that, because there is, you know, the connection between, you know, the native people and the bishops of their own. That does not mean that we close doors for other bishops to come, but it is time whereby the doors are also open so that, you know, the people can be able to see also that the seed that was planted by Archbishop Macarius, the type of Cyprus, during the foundation of the seminary school, that for African brothers to be ordained, to study and be ordained, is now coming into, uh, 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 into function. So I'm, I'm studying about this because it has been a long process. It has been a long journey of struggle. It has been a long journey whereby you know, things have set us back, Things have not moved so well, but at the same time, we are grateful and we are thankful to God that in every struggle, we have seen the hand of God. Now, as you may know, Christianity in Africa, as one historian, uh, or I should say, Orthodox in Africa, as one historian said, is it is as old as Christianity. Because we trace our roots in Alexandria, in Africa, to Apostle Mark. Saint Mark the Apostle is the one who established, you know, uh, 
Christianity in Africa, as we want to say, orthodoxy in Africa. And that is why the patriarchate of the whole of Africa is in Alexandria. And that is where the throne of St. Mark is. And that is where the patriarch is, is staying. And from the first century, as you know, you know, North Africa was the center of Christianity. It is where we have Athanasius, you know, the center of Orthodoxy. We have Athanasius, we have Clement, we have Pacumus, we have Anthony, we have Cyril, we have these great hierarchs of our church. We have these great saints of our church. All the way to fourth century, where theology was being produced in Africa, in North Africa. Until the seventh century, when the invasion of uh, Arab uh, Muslims came, and now it kind of like broke everything into pieces because it spread so fast and so peacefully. The reason why we say that Islam spread so peacefully is because when Islam came into Africa, it kind of like spoke into the culture of the Africans. In other words, you know, Africans would have, you know, in their culture would agree to marry more than one wife. Islam did the same. They came by way of philanthropy, helping the poor. The Africans were poor. They needed help. Islam came and provided health care. They provided, they built institutions. They talked about, you know, many things. They approached the people in a very peaceful way. Only later, when they realized, because the kings, who were the rulers during that time, they thought that they were embracing a new culture, only to realize that this was a religion that was going to remain there as an identity up to now. So when missionaries came from Europe, and trying to rush down to Sub-Saharan Africa, already at the same time, Islamic religion was also penetrating into Nigeria, into Congo, into uh, 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 Tanzania. You know, there are so many Muslims in Tanzania, many Muslims in Somalia, many Muslims in, in, uh, in, in, in Nigeria, as you may have known how the situation is. Even in Uganda, we have also many Muslims, and they are spreading every other day. When I was asked one time by a friend, what is the percentage of the Muslim uh, community in Kenya? I said, it's a small percentage. But he told me, even if it is one percent, it is enough for them to spread in one day to so many places. And it's very true. But we thank God, like in Kenya, we have good relationship with them, uh, we live with them, only that when we have Muslims from Somalia, because our armed forces went to Somalia to bring peace. So they said, because you are bringing peace to Somalia, we shall destabilize Kenya so that the soldiers can return back and take care of their country. But despite of that, we have had actually a peaceful coexistence with them. Because Kenya is 95% Christian. 
We have 95% Christian. Orthodoxy is very small, like maybe 1%. But the largest Christian population are the Roman Catholics and the Anglicans. And then we have the Protestant uh, uh, denominations, which we call them African Independent Churches, AICs. These are so many, and they are mushrooming every day. But we thank God that at least they are Christian. They are preaching about Christ, despite you know, their doctrinal uh, uh, teachings. But the most important thing about our mission world in Africa is that even if there was that uh, cuddling between the fourth century uh, Christianity in, in, in North Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa is growing. Orthodoxy in Sub-Saharan Africa down uh, 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 the, 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 the coastal part is really growing in a sense that if you look how much Orthodox Christians we have in Uganda, how many Orthodox Christians we have in Tanzania, how many Orthodox Christians we have in Kenya, how many we have in Ghana, how many we have in South Africa, in Zimbabwe, in Cameroon, in all these countries, in, in Madagascar, you realize that orthodoxy is growing. We might not have many orthodox Christians, of course, in Egypt, because it is now, you know, uh, uh, Egypt, of course, is, 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 is largely Coptic uh, orthodox. And uh, very small Greek orthodox in, in Alexandria, there are not many. And of course, in Ethiopia, it is you know a state religion. Orthodoxy is a state religion in, in, in Ethiopia, but we are not in communion for that matter. But we thank God that in Sub-Saharan Africa, Orthodoxy is giving a new face of uh, of of of, uh, of mission. And so, the challenges that we have now in the 21st century is how we can be orthodox in Africa and be able to be self-reliant, be able to be self-dependent, be able to you know, do our own things and understand that the child belongs to us. Because for all that time, as I say, we've always seen orthodoxy as a foreign religion. It is something that is coming from Greece. It is coming from Cyprus. It is for the Greek person. Even if you come to some places in Kenya, you will find that some churches call themselves Greek Orthodox Church. Then you wonder, how can that be? And you are in Kenya, you are in Africa, and you call yourself Greek Orthodox. It doesn't make sense. The bishop in, uh, in Rwanda, Burundi, when he went there uh, as a bishop, he was told by the president, and he was told that you can only have Rwandan Orthodox Church. You cannot have Greek Orthodox Church in Rwanda because there is no Greece here. <laughs> and so he went to the Patriarch, and the Patriarch said, as long as you are under the Patriarchate of Alexandria, there is no pr problem with being with, with, with the identity of of a Greek church. Actually, it should be put off. So he changed, now it is Orthodox Church in Rwanda, 
in Uganda. It is now Orthodox Church in Uganda, and we are also looking forward to have Orthodox Church in Kenya. Now, this is where the whole uh, paradigm shift in mission is needed, whereby we need our people to know they are Orthodox Christians by faith. They are Orthodox Christians and they need to live as in their identity by what Orthodoxy is all about. But not to be called a Greek while you are in Africa. Now, this requires a lot of effort, a lot of teaching, a lot of understanding so that people can know that there is nothing that we are abandoning. Because when you tell people that let us call ourselves African Orthodox Church, for example, they might think that we are actually abandoning the faith. So we have to do a lot of education in that matter. And so for that case, uh, we have this challenge now, whereby we have African bishops coming in, and the challenge of poverty is a real issue. Because if there are no bishops coming from Cyprus, then you have to build your own churches. If there are no bishops coming from Greece, then you have to build your own hospitals. If there are no bishops coming from you know, anywhere else, then you should be able to put up your house together. So this is what we are doing. Uh, we are learning to teach our people so that they can have a departure from the past. Because I tell you, our people have always known that the bishop from Greece or from Cyprus is the one who fixes everything. When he goes to a church and there is no toilet, he will be told you address there is no toilet and he will build. There is no office, he will build. There is no church, he will build. Oh, maybe there is no window glass, it was broken, he will put it. But now we are trying to tell them it is our responsibility. However small it may be, we are beginning to teach our people to understand that it is a challenge of the 21st century for us to be dependent on our own effort and to continue spreading the mission and not to wait upon others who are, uh, who are coming from outside. At the same time, we are also opening opportunities for missionaries to come and share their faith with us so that when we co combine our efforts together and we participate together, then they realize that the Orthodox Church is not only us alone. There is Orthodox Church in America. There is Orthodox Church everywhere. And so we are all brothers and sisters, and we are called to reach out unto other people and to do mission in, in, in our church. Another issue that is also a challenge today is whereby you want to give out the gospel and the people who have never heard about Christ you reach out into the depths of some places in Africa, especially like in Kenya, when you go to Turkana, the dry part of Turkana, they have never heard, most of them have never heard about, about the gospel. They have never heard about Christ. They believe in their own God. They have their own traditions. Now, going there and sharing 
the gospel of Christ. Going there and reaching out to them requires a very careful approach. This is a very great challenge. You want to give them the love of Christ, but at the same time, you need also to find a way of reaching out to them. When Father Martin Ritzi came and he went to Turkana, when he was there, the Turkana people were staying very far away. But Father Martin Ritzi was able to approach them, uh, the director of OCMC, and he told them, what do you people do? And, and he said, we pray. And he said, what do you pray for? He said, we pray to God. For what? We want God to bless us. Can we pray together? He said, yes, let us pray. And then they told him, you pray. And they said, because now this place is very dry, we need to pray for rain. And when they started praying, in the evening there was an outpour of rain. And they said, Jesus came today. <laughs> so, if you know how to approach these people who have not heard about Christ, if you know how to read them, then you can have them come into the house of faith. If you don't know, you can scatter them away. This is one of the challenges that we do experience. Another challenge that we do experience today is lack of financial support for our clergy. Because you know, most of the people don't understand that we don't pay our priests. They don't have salaries. They serve the church sacrificially without any pay. As we were discussing with some people, they even used to work. In my diocese, they used to go on foot to church until when I bought the motorcycles. So that is the challenge. You would want them to have some salary. But where do you begin? You would want them to have some support from the local churches, from the local parishes. Where do you begin? It is very difficult. But I have come to realize that when I teach my people slowly by slowly, they come to realize that they have a responsibility. It may not work today, it may not happen today, but maybe in the near future, God is going to open every door. But I thank God because in the process of being the bishop of my diocese for the last four years, I have had in, you know, tremendous support from friends, mostly in this country, who have always come to support us, to assist us by funding and building churches where we don't have at the same time coming to teach and working together as a team So I want to leave it at that particular point by ending it this way. That we thank God because orthodoxy in sub-Saharan Africa is a gift to us. Orthodoxy is a gift to us because we have been able to see the true light. And I want to tell you that in the coming years, as we continue to categorize people and to spread the gospel, I want to tell you that there will be a new phase of mission in Sub-Saharan Africa, in the countries that are in East Africa, West Africa, Central Africa. 
orthodoxy is growing as we continue to spread the gospel and at the same time we continue receiving your support. So I want to say thank you very much and I will ask you to come to Kenya and participate in building the churches, in building and supporting those who are in need. In my diocese I have 55 priests and I have uh, 62 parishes. I still have to make some coordinations so that the mission work can spread very easily. And also, uh, we have three orphanages, which we call them homes. One has got 195 kids, and we support them. We give them clothing, food, education. And also, we have another that has got 35 kids, and another one that has got 101. We thank God because through these children, we are able to see the face of Christ and his miracles, because where they come from is a different story, very sad stories. But seeing them transformed and begin loving Christ, when they come to church on Sunday and on every Thursday, because I go to celebrate liturgy, when you hear them chanting and they never knew about the faith before, when you see them going to school and they never went to school before, when you see them going to universities and they could never go, it's only that we can give glory to God. So I would say to say thank you so much, and I would say may God bless you, and I would welcome any question. Or if you want to know something more about that. Yes. Your Grace, I have a question for you. Um, in, in this country, when people come to orthodoxy, uh, Many are coming from no religious background at all, and, but many also come from um, a Protestant or a Catholic tradition, um, and they're looking for something, something more. Um, what can you tell us about in your country when people come to the Orthodox Christian faith? Are they coming primarily from uh, no Christian background at all, or from a different Christian confession? Both. But we have those who come from a no-Christian background because in one way or the other, uh, when we establish new communities in a place where we do not have an Orthodox church before, and then from that, we will have these people hearing about you know, Christ, and then they come to the church. From and non-denominational background. They have never been to any church. They have never been baptized. So we have new people who are really completely new. They don't belong to any faith. So when they come, we are able to take them through the process of catechism because we don't just say, oh, you are a new member of our church and we baptize that person before you day. We take them through the process of catechism until they understand what is orthodox and then baptism will fall. Others come from other churches, maybe through intermarriages that do happen, and others come because they have come to understand and read about the history of the church. I have always advised my priests that every Sunday after reading the gospel, they have to give a small catechism, small history 
of what orthodoxy is. So every Sunday, every priest has to teach something about the Orthodox Church because you never know who is sitting there. Maybe somebody from another church or somebody who is new. And, and from that, it has really spread and we have got new members coming in by understanding what our faith is all about. On a typical Sunday, in what language will you serve the liturgy? Yeah, many languages. <laughs> As I said before, Kenya, uh, English in Kenya, because we were colonized by the British, so we were taught English. Uh, we speak English as a national language, no, as an official language. Swahili is uh, our national language. Everybody in Kenya speaks Swahili. Then we have 42 tribes in Kenya, and every tribe speaks their own language. So it depends where you are. If you are in a tribe that is called the Kikuyu, then you have to do liturgy in Swahili and Kikuyu. If you are in a tribe that is Maasai, then you have to do liturgy in Swahili and Maasai. So you have to mix the two languages. So basically, on every Sunday, two languages. We, we don't use English because that is a, an office language. <laughs> yes. Yes? As a community of St. Peter's, what is your greatest need in your ministry today, and if you can help out, you uh, My greatest, you know, as you should say, on my prayer list, I have two things. One is building a high school. And number two is looking for clergy support. Because as a father, like many of you, you wouldn't be happy when your child is hungry. So as a bishop, when I see my priest going to church on Sunday and returning back home hungry. When I see my priest failing to take his child to school, to university, because of lack of school fees, that really disturbs me as, as their bishop. So I'm looking for ways of how I can get support not to give them a million dollars or a thousand dollars, but I'm looking for support on how at least I can give them something that is equivalent to $100 every month for a priest. So I was telling somebody, if I have 55 people who will commit themselves to give me $100 every month, I'll be giving them I call it salaries every month because I'm able to give them $100, you know, each, every month. It is better because they don't have anything. It is better because if I give them $100 a month, if they have a child in school, for two months they will be able to clear school fees. It will not be a problem. They can go hungry, but they can send their child to school. 
So $100 a month for a priest is enough for that priest, I should say, to survive. And it is better than nothing than going to church on Sunday and returning back home without anything. You know, when the heart is troubled, you cannot even serve the liturgy and you cannot even preach well. So I want them to, as they sacrifice, for them to see that their father is also thinking about them. That is one special need. The other one is about building the school, which I shared this morning with the students who are here. Could you, could you tell, tell it again because many people did Yes. Another one is about, uh, as I said, is building St. Anton High School, which I discussed with Seraphim for some time before coming here while I was still in Kenya. And the reason why I need, uh, I'm praying that we build this high school of St. Anthony is because our children who are at the orphanage go to St. Macario's Primary School. And we have about 350 children, students who go to that school. But after grade eight, which we call in Kenya primary eight, when they finish, they have to go to high school. So they go to either Catholic schools or they go to public schools. And they will not have the opportunity to continue learning the faith. Can you imagine that in our primary school of Macarius, we do liturgy every Thursday for those children in the school, all of them. When they go to high school, there will be no liturgy. There will be no anything to do with faith. So we will lose them. So I pray and say that it is good for us to have an orthodox institution whereby those kids, when they graduate from uh, grade 8, the high school that they can go is St. Anton. It is a continuation. By the time they finish high school, they are able to stand on their own. We are assured that they have matured enough to be able to engage in the world than sending them to different high schools. Because we have had so many challenges when our children go to public schools. They come back home and they speak a different language than the one that was speaking before when they were still at Macario's primary school. So we have a plan already. Uh, we have done the quotation. The engineer has already given us the quotation of $360,000 in order to build St. Anthony High School. And we plan to have 400 students at St. Anthony High School. And that school will not only be for uh, our Orthodox children only, but also for the entire community. And that is another way of spreading the word, or spreading Orthodoxy. Your Grace, could, uh, could you talk a little bit, because it's so different, talk a, a little bit about the educational reality, fees, how students go or don't go to school, uh, and then maybe if you, if you could share the story of the two girls that you told the students about. Specifically because Macario's Orthodox Primary School, we hope, will be our sister school. So if you understand a little bit how this, this school is a ministry to the entire community and what that community is. Thank you. Um, Macario's 
primary school. Uh, it was named Agil Makarios Primary School because it was founded by Archbishop Makarios. Uh, 195 kids from the orphanage go to that school. The history of these children who are at the orphanage is a sad story because these kids will bring them from different backgrounds. Most of them come from families that they have lost their parents, whereby their parents might have died uh, because of disease, maybe HIV AIDS, and they and they were you know they, they were swept away, and the children remained as orphans at home, and there is nobody to take care of them. They are with their grandmother, and the grandmother is old. So what we do is, when people call us that there are children here who need help, we go there, we examine the situation, and then we go through the legal process for us to take the children to the, to the orphanage. Uh, other kids, we, we actually pick them up from the garbage. Mothers give back to the kids and they throw them away because they don't want the burden of raising a child. So you will hear in some hospitals that a, a child that was picked up in a garbage, and then we will go there and we will ask at the hospital if they can give us a child to raise. So when I became bishop of the diocese uh, in 2015, I went to visit for my first time the orphanage. And I found this tiny little girl, little, little girl that was there. She was only one week old. Tiny little girl. And I cried because I was asking myself, how can really a mother carry a child for nine months in her stomach and then give back with all the pain and then throw that child away to die? How? I couldn't really understand it. But people do these things. Right now, that child is four years old and a half. And when I see that girl running around and smiling, she's so beautiful, she's so adorable. Then I remember that if nobody could have found her in that garbage bin, that child would have died. So when I look at that, I give glory to God that we are able to give some children a chance to live again. Seraphim asked me to share about the story of the two girls I talked about today in the morning here. I went to church one Sunday, and one lady approached me and said, Bishop, don't go. I want to introduce you to these two girls. They were twin girls. And I said, yes, tell me about them. And she said, these two twin girls, their mother died, and their father finds it a burden to raise these girls at home, and he does not want them to go to school. So he wants to give them out for marriage, and they're just 11 years, 11 years of age. And because in Kenya there is a tribe that they can book a girl, if a girl is 11 years, he will say, okay, when she will be 15, 16, I will come to marry, and he will start playing down. So that when she will be 15, 
Then that would be the age for marriage. Then he will come and take that girl and go and marry. So when she shared with me this story, that was a shock. How can a whole father give out his two beautiful girls for marriage at the age of 11? So I started following up the legal process very fast. And we were able to take those girls to the orphanage. They are there. We were able to categorize them. And we also had to talk to counsel them psychologically because they were really broken down. And then the second time, we were able to baptize them. Now, next year, they will be going to high school. We've given them hope again. So this is, this is, this is the beauty of doing good for those who may not have the opportunity to have a good life. So, as you asked that question, it is building the school and helping the priests. Somebody told me that you talk about many problems at the same time, so I was specifically talking about building the school. But sharing also about the needs of the clergy is equally important because there is so much need. And, and people are tied differently. Somebody would want to support the school, somebody would say, I want to take care of one priest for the hundred dollar. This is something new that I'm beginning this time in my mission. I've never done it before, and uh, I'm beginning to share this. And hopefully that before the end of this year, I'll be able to have 55 people or have donations amounting to $5,500 every month in order to support the clergy in my diocese, to have a meal on the table, or to send a child to school. So, yes. In the news, we hear that many African people leave their country to Europe. And, and those people, are they Christian or people? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is, I, I don't know if you, I think so. You, you heard about, uh, let me begin by that one, about the Al-Shabaab in Somalia. The Al-Shabaab is a Muslim group that are radical. And, 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 and they offer so much money to young people who are unemployed, you know, in Kenya, they're in Somalia, in Kenya, in Uganda, in Tanzania, in other parts of Africa. So they offer them a lot of money so that they can get them to go to Somalia and be part of the Al-Shabaab group. So many young people who are jobless in these countries are going to Somalia and then they are turned into Al-Shabaab. Then they come back and kill their people. That is one sad situation. Another one is... Uh, Others are moving out of African countries uh, looking for, for employment, for job opportunities. And, and, and you know, others go to study and they don't go back. Others find ways for job opportunities and you know, they also don't return back. And then the issue of slavery is there. 
Slavery is really a huge business now in the African continent. And actually we shall be talking about it when we go to the Holy Synod uh, next month. What can we do as bishops of Africa to stop this trade? Because it is really, really uh, killing our, 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 our people. It is destroying the fabric of the African continent. And if you see what they do, these people who are taken through slavery, it is terrible. So that is happening. So there is that huge migration of our young boys, our young girls through slave trade. And it's something that I think that the whole world actually should look into it. But we shall be talking about it in the Holy Synod uh, next month. Many industries are coming up. 
recently they discovered oil in the northern part of Kenya, and there's a lot of oil there. So job opportunities are there, and they are you know, offering uh, uh, jobs for the people who, who, who graduate from school. Although we have so many unemployed uh, young people who graduate from school and they have no jobs. And that is one of the reasons why they move to other countries. Yes? Yes, um, you, can, you can continue to give your donation. We have an account number for the diocese. And I also opened an account number here in the United States to make it easier also for some people. But I would prefer that as a church here, you can make donations to the church or to the school. Then it is sent directly together uh, into the diocese. So, uh, I will give Father Mark and uh, Seraphim the account number for the diocese so you can make those donations directly to us. Yeah. While he's speaking of this, uh, as Annie said, we do have a donation basket in the back. If you are interested tonight in assisting His Grace in the building of St. Anthony High School, okay, any cash, of course, you can put cash in the basket or checks. If you make a check out, make it out to St. Peter Orthodox Church, and in the memo, put St. Anthony's School. And we'll be able to get all of that together and get a check to you that way yeah. for this evening. Does yeah. that sound good? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking that. Yes, yes sir. Your Grace, you mentioned several uh, other sub-Saharan African countries. Yeah, we, there was a, there were Greek people in southern Sudan before, but because there was no priest and no bishop there, they sold the church to a Protestant uh, group. And last year, two years ago, they appointed a bishop for southern Sudan. So it's now beginning uh, to, to grow small. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Your Grace. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining us this evening. We do have um, a reception in Booth Hall, and we'll be able to um, ask questions directly and interact with His Grace there. So please, um, let's uh, give him one round of applause. Thanks. Thanks.